0: stage and uh, you may have noticed as you came in in this morning and over the last couple weeks and I'll be there again next Sunday still some sign up kiosks for life groups and uh, Tom why don't you tell everyone just just briefly who you are first for those who may not know who you are
1: Uh, my name is Tom Spiker I was the founding pastor of the church and served in that capacity for about 15 years before I gave way to Josh praise God And, uh, no, I don't mean that I didn't enjoy it, but he's a good and very adequate replacement. Um, More than adequate. Anyhow, for the first 15 years of the church, uh, actually until I changed employment, I was always involved in what we then called Bible studies continuously for that entire time. I always enjoyed it, and it, it takes you from a point where you, see people and you think, what's their name? I know they come to church to where you actually know them, you know their families, you know how they think, some of their emotions. It's really a special thing. And then I went to the other side of it when I went to CVS Pharmacy and I had to uh, work every other Sunday. It became very difficult to be a part of it. Uh, Last year, Kirk and Annette invited Tammy and me back, and while we didn't make it 100% of the time, I realized how much I missed it and I just told Tammy last night I said we found ourselves saying it over the years we really miss that we need to be a part of it so that's my background and experience with life groups and
0: you and Tammy are going to be leading one of the new groups and kind of a transition of that group into a new group I guess maybe is a better way to say it, is that right?
1: that's correct Uh, because of scheduling issues it was very difficult for me to consistently attend so we're moving we're starting a new group and hopefully transitioning our old group to sunday morning at eight o'clock and we figure if we get started started at eight o'clock sharp we can be done in plenty of time for people to be a part of the pre-church and church activities so that's something new we're trying and you're all welcome to be a part of it if you like
0: that's great thanks tom and uh, if you're interested in, in being a part of a group, including Tom's, there's others out there. Hannah and I are starting a new group as well for young married couples, which uh, ours is full. It's going to be a lively group. We're pretty excited. About half of them have been just married in the last six months, so it'll be cool. So we're, we're old-timers compared to some of you guys, which gives us a little bit of wisdom, I guess. But we're really looking forward to that. Uh, but there's all kinds of different groups. And, uh, you know, if you want to really connect and really become a part and really uh, get to know some people, get connected in a group. Just go ahead and sign up. You're not committing for life, even though they're called life groups. You're just committing for the fall and there'll be another sign-up period in January to do the same thing for the spring and would love to see everyone get connected in that way. So check that out on your way out this morning and again next Sunday. This week though, Uh, We are again in the book of Exodus. We've been studying Exodus for quite a while now and uh, picked it up again last Sunday. And uh, we're gonna pick it up again in Exodus chapter 17 today. And so if you wanna turn there, you can turn there. uh, And while you do, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna dive in. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Uh, Lord, there's, there's a lot to cover today, a short passage, but a lot there for us, I believe. And so I pray that you, uh, through your spirit, would speak to me and speak through me. You'd uh, teach me even as I teach that Jesus, as I've wrestled with some of these things this week, uh, you would make them true of me and of my spirit and of my heart uh, of trusting you and following you. And I pray that for each of us uh, more and more each day, making us more like your son, Jesus. Father, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you uh, come and teach us and protect us and guide us in all truth that we might become more and more like Jesus. It's all about him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the subtitle of this series is How Jesus Frees Us. And the exodus, I've told you many times, is uh, the kind of the penultimate act of salvation in the Old Testament. It's the defining act of salvation. And it's not just salvation in terms of they crossed the Red Sea and now they're free. It's also salvation in terms of total redemption, of sanctification. So it's not just how Jesus frees us to trust him, it's how Jesus frees us to live for him. And really, now that we've crossed the Red Sea with God's people back in Exodus chapter 14, now we're seeing how are they going to live in light of this rescue? And really, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted him, then that's the question for you right now. How are you living in light of the redemption that he's provided, the rescue that he's provided for you? And, and are you following? Are you growing? Or... Are you doing what the Israelites did? And the reality is, Paul tells us that what's written here was written as an example for us. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the Old Testament doesn't matter. They're full of it. That's nonsense. The Old Testament all points to Jesus, and it's there for our instruction. It's there for our help, okay? And so this morning, we're gonna look at some things that really, uh, are, they were convicting to me, they'll be convicting, I believe, to you as you look at how you live your life as a follower of Jesus. And if you've never followed Jesus yet, man, I, I pray that today might be the day you choose to do that. But here's kind of where we've been in this story. Uh, the story. The people are, uh, have been rescued Uh, from being slaves in Egypt, God rescued them miraculously, and they've crossed the Red Sea. And I kind of showed you this map where I believe it is that they probably crossed, uh, not the traditional site of Mount Sinai, but I believe Mount Sinai more likely than not uh, is in Saudi Arabia. And so I believe that's where they're at, the land of Midian in the text, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai after crossing the Red Sea. And um, last week we saw them grumbling. Do you remember that? Anybody grumble this week? Anybody with anyone who grumbled this week? Just in our house, huh? We're the only one. Hannah was with somebody who grumbled this week. Hey, listen, this is an ongoing battle for us, isn't it? But we saw that when they grumbled and when we grumble, God hears our grumbling. He heard their grumbling, but he responds with grace. He responds with grace so that, we'd choose to obey Jesus and to follow him. See, the people were truly free from Egypt, but what you're gonna see here is they're living out this new reality is they always wanna go back to their old way of living. You ever experienced that? You've trusted Jesus and yet there's this pull, isn't there? Like back to who you used to be, back to the things you used to do. For them, it's this pull back Uh, Toward slavery, toward this old way of living, toward their grumbling against Moses, rebelling against the God who saved them. At times expressing that life was somehow better before when they were in slavery. The writer of Proverbs says that that's, that's the fool. And he says in 26 verse 11, that the fool who returns to his folly, who goes back to his sin, is like the dog who goes back to his vomit. That's what it's like. Yet sin makes us delusional and we do that, don't we? There's this battle going on inside to where we wanna go back to who we used to be. And we're pulled back into old patterns of sin. Well, um, God hears our grumbling in that. He, he He notices our pull, but he responds with grace that we choose Jesus and obey him. Last week, we talked about choosing to obey and then choosing God's blessing or choosing Sin and choosing to suffer. Now, what I didn't say last week was that every time you suffer, it's because you chose to suffer. I never said that, did I? But I did say when you choose to sin, you're choosing to suffer. I also didn't say that every time you obey, your uh, life is going to go great and perfect and you're going to have plenty of money in the bank and all the perfect health. I never said that either, did I? But I did say that as you choose to obey, you will receive blessing. That blessing may not come until Jesus returns in many ways. But he does honor your obedience. <clears throat> now, here we are. We've seen God graciously provide for them. He made bitter water sweet after they grumbled. He provided manna and food for them after they grumbled about having no food. And now they're continuing their caravan for another couple of weeks and they've continued and uh, God's gonna test them in a similar way. Let's pick it up here in Exodus chapter 17, uh, starting in verse one. It says, Uh, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages. All the people, this is likely about a million people. Do you realize that? The whole congregation, men, women, children, probably at least a million people. According to the commandment of the Lord and they camped at Rephidim. The very first thing I want you to notice this morning is that God is the one is directing their steps. And God is the one who's leading them into this test. Before we even get there, God's the one leading them. He's directing their path. Do you know the same applies today that God will direct your life? He will direct your life as you trust him and follow him and allow him to. And you may say, yeah, I believe that, but I don't quite understand how that works. Uh, he will. It's a really good question, isn't it? Well, here's some ways how. Number one, it it happens through the power of his spirit by you reading his word, by you reading this book. You're like, oh, I haven't heard God talk to me this week. Okay, where's your Bible? Have you opened it? Have you been reading it? Have you been talking to him and, and praying and in conversation with him? See, the primary way that God speaks to you And directs your life and leads you is through the power of his spirit by reading his word. And the spirit, we're told in God's word, he he illuminates the text. He helps us understand it. He gives us direction. If you're not in God's word, it's going to be really hard for him to direct your life. Because uh, all of his uh, precepts and all of the good things he has for you are written down. He wrote a book, we like to say, right? God wrote it all down. It's one of our core values. That's why if I'm up here and I'm not preaching God's word, what are you supposed to do? Rush the stage, rush the stage, right? Fire me, then right after that, exactly. Like, like God wrote it all down. Everything we need is in this book. We're to believe it in all that it promises, trust it in all that it says and obey it in all it requires. God's word, listen, if you want God to direct your life, you gotta get in his word. It's him speaking to you. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Just like for the next step, it's just a, it's a light to that next step. In Proverbs chapter six, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon writes this, he says, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now he's speaking of of, uh, the goodness of a good mom and dad leading their kids, but he In doing so, he references commands about scripture and about our heavenly father. Harkening back to Deuteronomy 11, he he goes on in verse 21, bind them, God's commands on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, what will they do? Somebody read it for me. What will they do? They'll lead you. Listen, you wanna be direct? You wanna have your life directed by God? read his word now now reading his word and being directed by it isn't like just flip open a page and i think i'll read this today now you got to get into it right because if you do that you flip open and you'll be like um uh, judas hung himself i call that's kind of disappointing let's find something else and you flip around and you're like oh pump go and do likewise that doesn't work that's not helpful is it No, no, you got to read it in context. These are written as letters to churches and as full stories and accounts of Jesus' life. Read read it a book at a time, a chapter at a time. Read it in context. God will direct your life through it, friends. Do you want a good start for that? You know, Proverbs here is telling us to, to, uh, to tie his word around our neck. You know, Proverbs, there's 31 chapters. And you might just consider every day, whatever the date is, read that chapter in Proverbs you try that this next month. On the first, read chapter one. On the second, read chapter two. I believe if you do that, you'll start to see God directing your life in new ways. He does it through his word. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. When you awake, they'll talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Paul tells a young guy by the name of Timothy, pastoring a church in Ephesus, he says, Timothy all scripture is breathed out by God it's profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work so you got to read his word if you want to be have your life directed by him and hear from him the people in in uh, in the wilderness here on their way to mount Sinai they heard directly from God through Moses They even heard him audibly speak. Do you know when they get to Mount Sinai that all of the people will audibly hear God's voice tell them the 10 commandments down at the bottom of the mountain when Moses is up on top. God audibly spoke them in the hearing of everyone, we're told. Now, that's all in the Old Testament in the prophets, but Peter tells us you have a more sure word written down for you. Read it. Now, here's the other thing though. For God to direct your life, guess what it's going to take? A little bit of time. It's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. See, James 1 4, Jesus' little brother says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For something to have its full effect, what, what does it need to do? It needs to sit for a while. You ever make tea? You ever make any tea? What happens if you take the teabag and you just dip it and pull it out? You're like, oh, I got tea. No, you don't. You got water. But if you uh, leave the teabag in the water and let it have its full effect, what do you get? Tea. And sometimes it takes a while. It's the same thing with God's word. Paul tells us in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when you do that, it changes you. It makes you new. You smell different. You look different. You speak different. There's something new about you. Let steadfastness have its full effect. See, sometimes God rescues us and does things quickly, which is fun, isn't it? And that's kind of how our culture has just gotten in a big hurry. It's really sped up and like everything is instant, but we got to slow down to hear from the Lord because the reality is that God, as he directs us, it doesn't usually happen in an instant. It often happens choice by choice, day by day, week by week month by month, year by year, decade after decade. And slowly, as you look back, it takes time, but you see his leading in your life, don't you? You see him changing you. Get in a hurry to get in his word, but just know it's gonna take some time for him to change you. And not only that, it requires some trust out of you. It requires you to trust God. What does it look like to trust him? Well, uh, there's kind of two levels of trust. There's one part of trust in God where we trust him to do all things. Would you agree with that? Like, especially as it relates to salvation, like it is all on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You have nothing to add to that other than to have faith in Jesus Christ, amen? That's a good spot for an amen, amen? Right, yeah, cause that's what we're about. It's all about Jesus. But there's also a part of trust that is a partnership with God. Your salvation is all trusting him. Your sanctification is trusting him, but it's also partnering with him. It's a partnership with God. Uh, See, it's living in combination with Jesus through his spirit, like Newt talked about a few weeks ago. Not Jesus, take the wheel where there's nothing else for you to do. But no, Jesus, help me. Do this with me, will you? Make me new, change me. The psalmist writes this, trust in the Lord and do good. Boy, that's both, isn't it? That's me putting my full trust in Jesus to do it, but also me, what? Doing something. Now it's all on him, but there's there's partnership for me to complete with it and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, uh, preach that wrongly would say, trust Jesus and he's going to make all your wildest dreams come true. That's not true. It's he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe that means he will give you new desires. He will give you desires. He'll change you. He'll direct your life. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. See, what we're going to find out here is God has directed the Israelites to this place. It says that he, they went from place to place, Uh, by stages. In other words, from one place to the next through the wilderness as the Lord directed them. But they didn't do this part. They didn't trust God as he was directing him. They didn't trust their leaders. In fact, what they did, the Israelites did is they hardened their hearts. They hardened them. And friends, this is a sobering example for every one of us that we not harden Psalm 95, you know, this passage and this whole event in the Exodus is quoted over and over and referenced over and over again in the Old and New Testaments. And in Psalm 95, the psalmist says this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. we re-renovated everything, there was that, and it's going to be there again at some point, but there was kind of some words on the back wall as you left the church, right? And it was this verse. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So as we really, we we haven't even hardly gotten into the text yet. So as we do, uh, maybe that would be a good uh, exhortation to all of us. That today, as we hear God's voice speaking to us through his word, because that's how he directs us, that's how he leads us by the power of his spirit through his word. Let's not harden our hearts, amen? Let's not harden our hearts like they did as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Do you know what day that is that he's referencing here in this text? If you look down in Exodus 17 to verse seven, you'll find out that the day we're looking at today in the text is the day that he's referencing. He's saying, don't be like they did in Exodus 17. And in fact, this gets quoted in, book of Hebrews as well. You know Actually, let's turn there briefly. Look at Hebrews chapter three. Just some good exhortation for us before we really dive in. Uh, In chapter three, starting in verse seven, the writer of Hebrews uh, is writing, and he's talking about Jesus being an even greater leader than Moses. And he starts like this in verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, See, we saw it, it's written in God's word. The Holy Spirit's directing it. As the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Talking about the Israelites where your fathers put me to the test, God said, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, uh, God was provoked. I was provoked with that generation. And I said, "They, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In other words, they've chosen to sin. They've chosen to suffer. They haven't chosen to obey. So I'm not going to give them blessing. I'm not going to give them my rest. Take care, brothers. He goes on to write, the writer of Hebrews says, this is to us, friends. Lest, take care, pay attention. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, he's like stuck on this today theme. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And he goes on and he continues. And later in chapter four, again, he says, today, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Do you get the point yet? Friends, let's listen to the Lord today. See, God will direct your life. But here's what we see uh, in Exodus 17. He will direct your life. And oftentimes it'll be to places that you would rather not go. God will direct your life. But many times it will be to places you'd rather not go. Go, let's, let's keep reading in Exodus chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages. In other words, from place to place, according to the commandment of the Lord, he was directing them. They camped at Rephidim. Now remember, he is directing them. But look, I didn't read the end of verse one earlier, did I? The place he directed them, there was no water for the people to drink. You understand where this is taking place is like in the desert, right? And God's directing their steps and they're listening to him and they're obeying him. And where do they show up? They show up at a place where there's no water. What? That's not what I saw the guy on TV say last week. That's not what I want to be true about the Bible. That when I follow Jesus, everything's, he's just gonna lead me to all this perfect life. Now, sometimes he's actually, oftentimes, he's gonna lead you to places you'd rather not go. They're in a place where there was no water and God led them there. Keep that in mind. Therefore, now, has this happened before? Yes or no? Yeah, last week, right? Last week they got to a place where there was water, but what was it? It was bitter. And God, they grumbled and God provided grace. He gave them sweet water so that they would learn to trust him. And then they went a little farther and there was no food. So they were hungry. They're like, Moses, we're going to die because we're going to starve to death. Uh, Why'd you lead us here? And their grumble against Moses was actually against God. And God again responds in grace and he gives them a quail dinner that night and then manna every morning. He again provides for them. Now you would think like, This is literally within a week or two, probably after those first testings of water and food. Again, they're coming to a place and God is visibly leading them. It's a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. You would think they would remember last week, don't you? So let's see, let's see what happens. They're facing a test again. Are they gonna trust him? There was no water there, but then it says, therefore the people quarreled with. Moses, they contended with him. They took issue with him. They said, Moses, give us water to drink, man. We're thirsty. Moses said, why why do you quarrel with me? Why do you come after me? And then he goes on, he he gets to the real issue, right? He says, why do you test the Lord? Like, Like, where were you last week when he provided water and food? Where were you this morning when you picked up manna? Where were you when the, the Red Sea parted? Where were you when the Red Sea closed again? Where, where were you when all the plagues happened? Where were you when God rescued you miraculously? Why do you test him? Have you thought maybe he's testing you to see if you would trust him, to see if you would choose to obey that you might enter his rest and receive his blessing? Moses said, your, your, your argument's with him, not me. See, to test God is demanding or expecting him to do something special for you that you really don't necessarily deserve. And it's not asking for that. It's okay to ask for those things, but it's demanding it. And it's saying, God, if you don't come through, I'm done. You ever felt that? I have, I have, Moses does. I would venture to say many of you have. And it's testing him and it always involves some degree of doubt that God's really gonna come through. It's almost like giving yourself an out to say, you know what, if you don't come through, I quit, I'm done. And we do that to the Lord, don't we? So before we look down on the Israelites, don't remember this is written for our instruction. Don't harden your hearts like they did but the people, verse 3, thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. They said, Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? They're delirious about their past, aren't they? They were slaves, man. What do you mean, why did I bring you up? You prayed and God rescued you. Why'd you bring us just to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Not only is the complaint... um, Again, against Moses when it's really against God, but now it's just exaggerated and getting bigger and bigger and greater and greater because again, they refuse to trust. Warren Wearsby, many of you may know him, a pastor He just passed away in the last year. He wrote this about this passage. He said, every difficulty that God permits us to encounter, every trial will become either a test that can make us better or a temptation that can make us worse. In other words, he's saying there, we can choose to obey God through it, and he'll make us better, he'll bless us, or we can uh, choose uh, it as a temptation, we can choose to sin and then suffer, making us worse. It's it's our own attitude that determines which it will be. So ultimately, it's it's your choice, isn't it? If in unbelief we start complaining and blaming God, then temptation will trap us and rob us of an opportunity to grow spiritually. But if we trust God and let him have his way, the trial will work for us and not against us and help us grow in grace. See, uh, God will direct your life, but often he will lead you to a place you'd rather not go. And the reality is that when you get to that place, and maybe you're there today, you may not understand. that, you get to that place and you don't even understand how you got there. Like, God, I'm doing these things. I'm in your word. I'm, I'm praying. I'm trusting you. Why in the world would you lead me here? Why? You ever ask that? It's okay to ask God why. Like, totally. Ask him. It's good to ask him. He's the right one to ask. Jesus asked that. You know, in Matthew chapter 27, When Jesus is on the cross, Jesus cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did it have to come to this? Why did you lead me here? It's okay to ask why. But ultimately, the writer of Proverbs reminds us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. It goes on in verse six, and he'll make your path. And the reality is you may not understand and you may never understand. You may not ever understand. Sometimes it'll become clear later looking back. Other times you'll never understand it. You will never get it. And I don't have a good answer for you either. Other than God is still good. He's still in control. And he has a plan. Even when it makes zero sense. Just ask a guy named Job in the Bible who is like a, his life is the original country song for real. Like he had everything, incredible wealth. He lost it all. He lost all of his children. He lost everything. And then his wife turned on him and just began nagging him all in 24 hours. And you know, at the end, Job begins to ask why. And do you know God's response? It's like, uh, He never tells him. He never tells him why. He said, Job, where were you when I made everything? Why are you questioning this? Where were you when, uh, you know, I, I dug out the bottom of the ocean? Have you seen it down there? It's pretty cool. Have you been there? Just, he never finds out why. You may never understand, but God is still directing your paths. So bring your doubts. Ask him why. Jesus did. But check your attitude. See, you can control your attitude. Why are you really asking? Is it to test him like they did in the wilderness? Or is it so that you would learn to trust him more? See, uh, Peter tells us to cast all of our anxieties on him because he does care for you. That includes your doubts, friends. And in fact, uh, Jesus' friend Thomas He didn't want to believe until he saw Jesus. He had some doubts. So much so for the fact that he gets uh, belittled with the title, Doubting Thomas, for the rest of time. Yet, how did God respond to his doubts? How did Jesus respond? With grace. He goes to him with grace. But it was with the right attitude. So you have agency to choose your attitude. The reason... God does all these things. We may not know exactly, but ultimately it is for Jesus' glory. And ultimately, maybe not even in this life, but ultimately it's for your good and for our good. And so the the question in front of you is will you choose faith to believe that? Will you choose to trust God? I've given you this definition of faith before, right? Where biblical faith, I got this from my pastor when I was in college and it's so helpful for me, but it's, it's four parts. Number one, to believe God's word. If God said it, what is it? It's true. You can trust it. He wrote it all down. It's believing God's word, but it's not just believing. There's some partnership there. It's acting upon it. It's doing something with it. If you recognize that Jesus is your only hope, you should act upon it and trust Jesus Christ with your life. Part three, no matter how I feel, because the the ugly reality, if all of us could expose our hearts this morning is that, uh, many times if not most of the time there's not a desire to do it it's believing God's word and acting upon it no matter how I feel do you think the Israelites if if they could have taken this advice uh, they believed God's word you led them to this place they acted, they followed but then uh, now they didn't feel like it anymore did they because there was no water and why do you do that because God promises a good result as we trust him the last time I checked, he keeps all of his promises. Everyone. Trust him. See, God will direct your life often to places you'd rather not go, but he will always go with you. Look at verse four. Here they are, they're at this test and they're grumbling and they're testing God. They're being tested and in response, they test God. So Moses cries to the Lord, what do I do with these people? Lord, they're almost ready to stone me. As a, as a pastor and any of you as a leader of anything, maybe as a parent, you, you understand like the desperation Moses is pleading with the Lord here, don't you? When people are grumbling or frustrated with you about something. By the way, God's speaking, not just to the people, but also to the leader, also to Moses here, because Moses later in Numbers 11, he would grumble too. We talked about that last week. He too would be grumbling of like, why did you put me here, Lord? Why did you put me in charge of this? Like, why? But he's in a pretty vulnerable spot here. And I have a feeling that Moses, as he was pained by this repeated grumbling of the people, he had grown more and more sensitive to their criticism. And whether they were about to stone him or not, that's how it felt to him. I think that's why the writer of Hebrews uh, instructs us in, in, in Hebrews to make it a joy for those who lead. Right? Verse 5 The Lord said to Moses, "Pass on, Moses, before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. It's not just you leading; it's I'm I'm working through all of you. Take some of the elders and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I told you uh, earlier this spring when we were studying uh, the beginnings of Exodus and Moses' staff. God said it was His staff, and a person's staff in that day was like their passport; it was like their ID, right?" And so Moses' staff is called God's staff, and it's the symbol of God's presence among them. Oftentimes they would have things carved in them to identify the person it belonged to. So this is is symbolic of God being with Moses. And he says in verse 6, not only this symbol of the staff, but check this out, Moses. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it. The people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, which means testing and grumbling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? See, Jesus went with Moses. He actually stood before him in front of the rock. I wonder if the pillar of cloud moved over to protect Moses during this moment. And in fact, it's almost this idea that as he strikes the rock, God is there in front of it. Who's he striking? God. And we we learn in Isaiah chapter 48 that the rock split when Moses struck it. Here's a potential of what the, the split rock of Horeb looks like today even. And water came gushing out, fresh water for the people to drink. Jesus went with Moses and he went with the israelites and all of this it's a reminder of how jesus saves and and what do you know the apostle paul quotes all of this in first corinthians 10 and he actually says that that rock well here let me just read it to you you can keep watching that while i read brothers and sisters here's what i want you to know about our people who lived long ago they were all led by the cloud they all walked through the red sea They were all baptized into Moses. They identified with him in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same supernatural food. They ate the manna that God provided. They all drank the same supernatural water, the water that was uh, made sweet and the water provided at Horeb. And check this out. They drank from the supernatural rock that went with them. And that rock, Paul says, was Jesus Christ. Paul actually draws a parallel to God providing for them here to Jesus providing for us today. Jesus is the one who provided for them, that he's the rock. He's the one who provides safety and shelter and water to nourish your soul. See, he goes with Moses, he go with the Israelites, who will go with you. Jesus said, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Romans, Paul writes, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The writer of Hebrews goes on, he says, "I will." He's, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Friends, God will direct your life. And often if you become a Christian, life isn't necessarily going to get easier. It will get better. It will be better. But it may not probably won't get easier. In fact, God will probably lead you to places you'd rather not go, just like he led his son. And by the way, that's his goal is to make you more and more like his son. So he may actually lead you through some of the same things Jesus himself had to go through. But here's the great promise. When he leads you there and as you trust him, he will always go with you. So today, if you hear his voice, you're facing that hard thing. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like they did in the wilderness where they refused to trust and they landed in the wilderness for another 40 years because of their disobedience. Don't choose to sin and suffer. Choose to obey him and trust him. Choose his rest. Trust him. Will you trust him? If you've never trusted Jesus, today may be the day for you of simply repenting of your sin, turning to him in faith and letting him save you. And then walking with him that he might help you in partnership with you, making you new. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that, uh, as Paul said, uh, Jesus, you are the one to go with the Israelites. Uh, you went before them, you led them, you provided for them over and over, you showed grace to them. All is a precursor to the grace that you had showed to us. Jesus you are the rock that provides water for us to drink that we would never be thirsty but that we would be satisfied and have all that we need Uh, you are the one who saves us and makes us new you're the one who leads us but Lord the reality is there's there's a lot of times where you lead us and if we're honest we don't want to follow we don't want to go there but you're still in control still faithful. We can still trust you. So today, Lord, whatever it is we're facing, help us to trust you, to hear your voice, to not harden our hearts like they did in the wilderness. If if you hear God's voice calling you today, today might be the day that you turn to Jesus for the first time in faith, or today might be the day you need to make some decisions, make some choices, and choose to to lay down your bitterness. Choose to lay down your complaining. Choose to forgive that person you haven't forgiven. Choose to put that sin away. And choose to follow Jesus.